0: Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone. Tom Salemi here. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. Before I get into this week's guest, I'd like to let you know that this is the last OIS Podcast of 2017. It's been a fantastic year. Thank you to everyone who has been listening. Thank you, of course, to all of those who have taken time out of their day to to appear on the podcast or to allow their voices to appear on the podcast and to tell their stories. Uh, We're all about sharing the stories of those uh, leaders in ophthalmology, and this uh, podcast is just a terrific vehicle to do that. So, again, thank you to all of our guests, and thank you to all of our listeners. It's uh, it's really great to uh, keep the OIS feeling going all year long. Our guest today is Michael Abramoff. He is the president and co-founder of a company called IDX that's uh, using AI-enabled tools to diagnose uh, ophthalm- ophthalmic disease, uh, most specifically and most directly uh, diabetic retinopathy, which is uh, something that uh, Michael's been chasing for uh, a long time. He's, uh, he has one of those stories, very familiar to, uh, to many of us. He uh, was a physician, is a physician saw a problem that he didn't think was uh, was acceptable and he and he created a way to fix it so it's a terrific story idx is doing well it's on the verge we hope of uh, of getting critical fda approval for its uh, diagnostic tool and uh, could be blazing a trail in ai and ophthalmology it's working with uh, with ibm and uh, just a great story all around so i hope you enjoy this conversation with michael abramoff again he is the director president and co-founder of IDX. And I also, again, thank everyone who has uh, joined us on this journey in 2017. Now let's get into this conversation with Michael Abramoff. Well, Dr. Michael Abramoff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. So uh, we'll get into uh, your company and your your practice and, and artificial intelligence in a few minutes. But I always like to take uh, take some time just to understand how our guests found the way to do what they do. How did you find your way into uh, into ophthalmology?
1: So yeah, great question. So when I came out of high school, I was went into college, obviously, or what what is called medical school, in where I came from the Netherlands. Uh, and I was always interested in in, in both in computer science and, and medicine. But at the time, it was really hard to combine these two interests. They're very far apart, much much more than, than now even. And when I um, discovered something called neural networks, that was really exciting to me because at the time, we were trying to mimic parts of the brain with computers. Uh, this research led me to Japan. I was, was able to extend it and, and soon also realizing that at the time, the hardware and the computing power was just not enough to really mimic uh, brain tissue. That led me, um, you know, doing research in Japan, through France, where I became really directing a a group of people developing software with user interfaces, which was sort of based on on this research. Eventually, back into medicine, um, I was interested in microsurgery. Ophthalmology is a great profession, if if you like images and and the brain and, and microsurgery. So I did an ophthalmology residency, then... In ophthalmology, the retina is really the most exciting type of surgery for me, at least. And so, I did a fit the
0: retinal uh, surgical fellowship. Um, did you always know you're going to find your way back into medicine the, over those stints in, in Japan and whatnot? Did you know ultimately you would be a, a medical doctor of some kind?
1: No, I, I thought I, 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 you know, was going to be happy doing this type of research, uh, being a scientist, being uh, in software. It turned out to be, you know, a bit limited because I, I really, again, I was always trying to combine the two and it really ne- never worked out. And so when I was a you know in my fellowship and even before my residency, uh, one thing that I realized was, that I was seeing all these people with diabetes. And now as an aside, you need to know that diabetic retinopathy, which is a complication of diabetes, is the most feared um, uh, complication of uh, by people with diabetes and it's the most important cause of blindness. And it's almost entirely preventable if you catch it early. The problem is that it's, it doesn't cause symptoms until much later. And so these people need to be examined by a, a retinal specialist or an eye care provider, really, um, to make sure they don't have any type of this disease uh, because they won't have symptoms early on and you can still treat them. So, but I discovered I was essentially seeing two types of, of, of patients with diabetes, some who had nothing at all. And I would just tell them, welcome come back in a year. And the others where it was too late and they will already have very bad complications from the diabetes and the diabetic retinopathy where we did surgery, but there was really very little recovery of vision possible anymore. And so I realized, well, you know, maybe we can do better here and maybe what I did in computer science and and artificial intelligence and neural networks can be of help. That's not 20 years ago. So it's a long road because from there on um, you do scientific research and you realize, well, it can indeed be done and these, these type of systems can be as good... as as me as a retinal specialist, Uh, but from publishing scientific papers, uh, getting, you know, coming to the US here in Iowa, getting uh, grants from the National Institutes of Health, the National Eye Institute, to eventually inventions and patents, and then moving on to actually bring this to to patients, uh, including doing big studies, big clinical trials to get uh, FDA clearance is a long route, which took 20 years, as I was saying, we're almost, almost at the end.
0: How were those ideas met uh, received early on? Uh, did, did people see the potential or or was it that it required quite a sales job to uh, to get some support?
1: Um, it was uh, an interesting journey. I mean early on, people ignored it i mean the, the, definitely the ophthalmology community uh, ignored it. Eventually, they started becoming concerned about uh, job security. And, and so what happened, there was an actual editorial uh, where I was titled The Retinator. This was in 2010. And uh, so that was, uh, that was interesting. It was, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but still it, it, it meant something. But, but when I actually started discussing this and, and presenting uh, the data and where we were going at scientific conferences and clinical conferences of ophthalmologists, it became very clear that there you know there was no concern because many of these people never saw an ophthalmologist, and and now they will be, be be seen and actually have disease diagnosed which then needs to be treated. And for that you definitely need an ophthalmologist. I mean they're the ones you know were trained to do that. So that that went away once everyone understood what was going on and what was going to happen. and now the ophthalmology community is a very strong supporter of this type of approach of uh, artificial intelligence diagnostics.
0: Yeah, that would seem to be a natural uh, process of things. First, the lack of understanding, then fear, and then sort of a, an acceptance. So, uh, that, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how do you define AI? I mean, we're hearing about it so much, and it's, it's, I'm sure it's changed over time, and I'm sure it's, it's evolved over time. But when, when talking to other physicians, I mean, what it, give us the, your, your, your $10 definition of, of AI and how it fits into med tech and ophthalmology.
1: I think uh, for me, uh, there's, there's several definitions of AI floating around. One of them is everything we are not able to do yet with computers, and as soon as we can do it, it's not AI anymore, but a user interface or a database. I mean, what Oracle did many years ago was considered AI at the time, but I think it's it's things that uh, require um, human expertise, uh, thinking, and and training. And and I think diagnostics is a very good example of that. You cannot do that by, you know, coming out of high school. You need to be trained for many, many years to do this type of thing. And if you then, uh, for a very limited, specific task, uh, teach a computer to do that, that for me is artificial intelligence. So there's, there's another field which is general artificial intelligence, which is really trying to mimic humans, how they think and how they behave. That's not what, what this is about. This is about... You take the specific tasks uh, that are highly reproducible and automate
0: them. And, and is it how, how prevalent is it now nowadays in uh, in medtech and in in ophthalmology to have this sort of uh, I guess this sort of capability? Is it is it becoming more commonplace? Or are we just starting to see this emerge?
1: Well, we're definitely early on. I mean, uh, FDA has not cleared any AI uh, that directly interfaces with uh, the patients. And so we consider ourselves in the lead. And, you know, maybe you heard that, but we expect to get clearance uh, early spring next year. We finished our clinical trial two months ago. And and so we're very optimistic that we will get clearance and we will be the first. And so that's, it's a very exciting period. I mean, we have been cleared in Europe for a few years and as have some competitors. But uh, I think there will be uh, uh, a very exciting time when, when, When the general public sees that this can be done and it can be safe because the opportunities for driving down costs are enormous. And, you know, IDX was founded to drive down costs in healthcare. That's that's the whole goal. It's not, you know, to make nice tools for shiny tools for commissions, it's it's to drive down costs, which we desperately need, I think.
0: Well, let's talk about the process. How did you come to decide to start IDX?
1: Um, IDX came. out of a realization that, um, you know, what my scientific research showed was that it could be done, meaning you couldn't do this specific task of diagnosing diabetic retinopathy from images with a computer, at least as good as a human resident and actually better, uh, you know, we've shown in several studies. Um, And then the next step is how do you get this to patients? And and then you realize that FDA clearance is required and uh, a lot more beyond that because it needs to get reimbursed and there needs to be a payment. And that means you need to have a, a viable business model, and that means you need to look at you know how is this paid for? What do we need to to to, to have the, the team and the people to actually make this a product? And so that uh, that is what IDX is about. And then you want a, a goal for the company, and it was from the start clear for me that that driving down costs in healthcare um, is, is crucial. Um, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I'm a a patriot. um I'm, I'm very much considered as my adopted country, and I think it's a big problem and leading to a lot of political grief uh, that uh, healthcare is so expensive. And if you drive down that cost, you know, many will just melt away because, you know, it's just a small percentage of our expenses rather than a large part as it is now. It's almost 20%, right, of our GDP. And so, um, and then additionally, I was interested in, well, what's going on in the economics of healthcare. And if you look at uh, something very important, which is what makes us also so rich of a society, is the productivity gains over the last 150 years. I mean, farming, and it's very visible around me here in Iowa, uh, where, you know, 150 years ago, you needed many farmers. What you can now do with, with a single farmer, uh, and that's the same case in car factories and manufacturing and everywhere, banking, uh, finance, anything, really, you have seen these giant increases productivity over the last 150 years that has been a relentless and continuous. It's still continuing that we increase in productivity. And that creates wealth. Um, And we don't see that in in healthcare. In fact, when you look at uh, numbers from Bureau of Labor Statistics and have presented the data even 10 years ago, uh, you can see that the productivity in healthcare, unlike everywhere, everywhere else, is going down. I'm actually seeing as a physician fewer patients than I was 10 years ago. And there's reasons for that. One big reason is electronic health records, which have now been shown to drive down productivity. So where every every industry around us, outside of healthcare, is focused on increasing productivity and driving down costs everywhere, Uh, healthcare is actually losing every year. And so, you know, rather than... It's not even staying the same, it's getting worse. And so that drives up cost. I mean, if I keep seeing fewer and fewer patients for the same amount of money. That means that for each each patient I see, the cost goes up. And so we need to do something about increasing productivity. Automation is the obvious choice, but you can use automation in a, in a good way. And I think what IDX is doing in terms of automating AI-based tasks uh, is a good way of doing it. It actually makes me as a physician more productive. I can see more patients now uh, versus some other things like an, an electronic health record where which may be very attractive for other reasons, but definitely drive down, down cost. There's a lot of research supporting and uh, supporting that and showing evidence for
0: that. So the productivity comes in the use in your office, or or is it, or the savings? Does that come in with the, with making you more productive, or does the savings come in in avoiding the the, the blindness that comes with undiagnosed diabetic retinopathy because you're getting a patients earlier and you're enabling them to understand that they have a problem earlier on in their disease. Uh, Cycle.
1: Yeah, good question, actually both, but let me go into detail about both. So it, it drives down cost because what I do as a specialist, we can now do in primary care. And primary care is where these people with diabetes are. They need to be referred to me to see me and they normally wouldn't. So someone with diabetes, they will see their primary care doctor or their family care doctor or their, you know, their medicine doctor or their endocrinologist. They, they will be there because that's what they need for the diabetes. To, to go all the way to an eye care provider, you know, most of them, in fact, less than fifty percent do. And so I am essentially what I do as a retinal specialist is now being done by a computer right in the office of the primary care where the patient already is. And and instead of me sitting there in an office waiting for patients, it's the computer doing it for me. So I can do other things, including treating the patients that actually have disease, which I you know, I expect more to see more of them because we we will Screen and detect more of these people with disease, people with diabetes with disease. So that's one aspect. The productivity gains are because my what I do in specialty care is replaced by the primary care doctor having this type of device, this type of AI. Um, and then uh, there's another aspect which is harder to 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 quantify, which is. If someone goes blind from diabetes and it's prevented before, we, because we catch it early and treat it, of course the treatment has a cost, but there's a lot of cost avoided if someone just goes go, and go blind. There's something called cost-effective analysis, but it's a it's a it's a hard and tough subject. So the, you know we and others are doing scientific studies on that, but it's not as hard as easy to quantify as the cost savings on the other end, where I'm replaced by. An algorithm and primary care doctors are doing
0: that. So, what what was the process like getting this far with the FDA? How how has that road been?
1: Um, a, a very interesting road. Uh, the, the FDA is, is 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 of course concerned about safety, and we are concerned about patient safety. Um, we started almost seven years ago, if I remember correctly, and so we started discussing them, Well, you know, we have this algorithm. How can we get it? Uh, how can we get it to patients? How can we get it cleared? And we, there was a lot of back and forth initially because they had never looked at this type of technology before. AI was then really, really new in diagnostics, and 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 we had never, uh, you know, worked with a, with an agency like FDA. So there was there was some back and forth and getting used to each other and and, and why we were doing certain things and why they placed certain demands on us. And so slowly they began to to converge. And in the last few years, it's been very collaborative, where you know they re- you know the FDA. Many complain about it, and, 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 and but you know, there's there's uh, very good things coming out, very good thoughts and ideas coming out of it, which I think made this what you know what IDX has now is is partly because of all these interactions with FDA, and so we were able to convince them of, of of you know the safety of that, it can be done, and what technology can and cannot do, and how maybe to test it, and they explain to us how they see this type of device fitting in practice and where it should be, and how it should be explained, and so. These are all, you know, things where we converge now, very comfortable with with, with what what the FDA is demanding for, to see from us and why we did the clinical trial in the first place to to show to FDA in an independent, objective fashion that that is that is safe.
0: And over that time, the uh, over the seven years that you've been sort of engaging with the FDA, I have to think at that point, at the very start, you, if we weren't alone, at least you were you were among the leaders. You're definitely among the leaders in this space. Seven years. Fast forward seven years. You've got Google and other major tech players looking into into healthcare. I know you've got a, a deal also with with IBM. But how has this resurg- resurgence or 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 um, um, rising interest from tech giants affected your company? And and how do you think it uh, will help you or hinder you in the future? Well, it's
1: it's an exciting time indeed because you know years ago, you know. I and a few others were, were working on this almost in isolation. And then you have a harder time, um, for example, investors saying, you know, how oh, what is this What is this about? And now that's that you have a much easier job with, with that part of, type of thing, because Google and Apple are entering the space it must be must be exciting and there must be, you know, something going on there. So that, it's helpful in a way. Uh, definitely there's much more awareness now about AI and the possibilities in medicine. There's probably a you know, a newspaper article or an issue on, on the news every week now about AI and replacing doctors. Um, but, you know, we have been in it so long and so diligently and so deeply um, that, you know, my perspectives may be a, a bit different. So it's it's exciting that there's more attention on now, but we're just, you know, chugging along, doing what we need to do with FDA, with creating market plan, marketing plans, with, you know, testing in Europe, with, with figuring out how this can benefit patients the best. So we're doing all of these aspects. So it's much more than an algorithm. It's how it fits into practice. Uh, you know who, how you interact with it. What, what, what it tells the patient. What it tells the doctor. There's so many other aspects about it. How you keep validating after it's cleared or you know being used. And, and so um, it's an exciting time. Yeah, it's interesting. And what I wasn't was, expecting this
0: to be on. What's that? You weren't expecting this I much attention. I wasn't expecting this enormous amount of attention. <laughs> and I can see it being a double-edged sword. It, what uh, what is the uh, your your relationship with uh, with IBM?
1: Yeah, that's it's uh, a, a very good relationship. We 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 realized, you know, we we're uh, an early stage company. We we don't have you know enormous amount of people being able to do the marketing mm-hmm. and, and talking to Governments and, and state actors in, in Europe and, and all sorts of healthcare systems, and so IBM has a, a lot of knowledge in that. And in addition, they know about AI. And, and you know, maybe Watson is a is a famous example. They want Jeopardy. They they beat Gary Kasparov in, in chess. So this, they, they certainly know their way about artificial intelligence. Um, and, you know, what we brought in is the expertise of how you bring this to patients, how specifically you can use AI for a very specific task, uh, meaning what a diagnostics that normally is, uh, a retinal specialist or any specialist in general uh, does. And so that's a very nice combination where, the, you know, the enormous resources of IBM um, and their deep expertise in AI and their long history in AI is merged with our deep expertise on the clinical side of it and how to get this through FDA and clearance and how you can you make this safe. so it's a, it's a, it's a very
0: nice uh, combo. And was it difficult negotiating that relationship? I mean, it's unlike other strategics and strategic relationships in in medtech or in, in diagnostics where you're working with a medical company where you both sort of bring the same skill sets uh, or at least the same understanding of spaces to the deal. Uh, was it was it difficult arranging or, or coming to an agreement with? With IBM, what was that process like?
1: Well, no, I don't think there were particular problems in the in the process. So, you know, you again you show your expertise versus their expertise and you try to make it match together so it's it's a synergy, right? I mean instead of uh seeing, well, where are we doing the same thing and let's cut one of them? No, you see where where are we strong, where are they strong, how we can you know, we can both stronger together. So that's what we did. And it took a few months with it. You know, it's, it's more the enormous size of IBM versus us where I can call anyone in, in, in two minutes and text them, you know, how do we think about this or that? Because IBM, we you have, you know, five layers of people. We're still discovering people who we're working with, which we didn't know about. Because it, and actually, you know, some people in IBM don't know that, that some other group is working on because it's a, such a giant company. So it's a bit harder to navigate, which is also interesting to learn about that, that type of environment. It's been an interesting journey.
0: Great, and just a final question: Where, where are you with uh, with financing, and and uh, are you raising any money in the future? And and, it's, and what's next? What's on tap? You've got the FDA, obviously. That's going to be a huge milestone. But what else are you looking forward to in the coming year or two?
1: So right now, we're looking at um, you know announcing the the results of the clinical trial at uh, Medical Society in February, which is a big event because the That's really the core of all the retinal specialists in the world. A group of about 300 of them come together to talk about science, and we'll be presenting the results and announcing the results there. Um, And then from there on, like I said, we hope for clearance some some time after that. We'll be publishing results. Um, And then the the big, big uh, challenges come, because then we need to move to, to go to market. You know, we, we're looking at it, but you, you, you want to make sure you have the clearance and everything is ready. So those will be the next steps after that, and we may want to raise additional resources after that. But right now, we, we closed the final round before becoming aware of the results of the clinical trial. So now, you know, we definitely closed down a a successful round, which was always prescribed. And so now, you know, we're really working on these other aspects of uh, the with, with FDA, with New results with a clinical trial. Meanwhile, of course, we are, you know, developing uh, customer relations in Europe at the same time. So, you know, we're pretty busy here, but, you know, 23
0: of us. Are you having success with, and I know I said final question, but another one popped in my head. Are you having success with uh, insurers and payers? Do you need reimbursement for this?
1: Yeah, well, reimbursement is is sort of, uh, you know, the, the next topic. We know that there is, you know, incremental reimbursements here and there. There's no formal reimbursement for AI-based diagnostics. Um, for the field in general, that will become more important right now. There are specific codes for diabetic retinopathy for photography within interpretation. So we'll, we'll, we'll manage with that. But eventually, because you know we are not about diabetic retinopathy, we're about AI diagnostics in general. And we want to expand today into other diseases, glaucoma, even beyond the eye, very soon. And we have a product pipeline for that and then that it will become more relevant because you get farther away from, you know, uh, reimbursement that is known for diabetic healthy, then, then that
0: becomes uh, a bigger challenge. Well, it's a great story, and uh, we really will wa- be watching next spring. We will be hoping for the FDA approval and uh, look forward to following up with you uh, as you make progress.
1: Yeah, I hope to have more news
0: very soon. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that is a wrap of this OIS podcast and of the podcast season of 2017. First, I'd like to thank again Michael Abramoff for joining us on the podcast. It's great to tell IDX's story, and we look forward to tracking its success in the new year. This is really going to, uh, we hope, blaze a trail for diagnostics in ophthalmology. Thank you, of course, also to uh, our OIS podcast listeners. It's, uh, it's really terrific to have this, uh, this tool to continue these conversations about ophthalmology's future. And uh, we're grateful, again, to everyone who has uh, appeared on the podcast, has shared their voice, has told their story, and, of course, to all of you who are, are listening as well. This is a fantastic opportunity for me to connect to you, and I'd like to ask you to connect with me. So please do shoot me an email, tom at healthagy.com. It's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy is the producer of the OIS podcast and the OIS events. Please email me, let me know who we should be talking to, what we should be talking about, or uh, just say hello, I would love to hear from you. You can also reach me on Twitter at MedTechTom and you can reach OIS at OIS Tweets. So there's many ways to uh, keep this conversation going and we look forward to doing that with you in the new year. So again, that's a wrap of this year's podcast season. We hope you have the best of holidays and we wish you a very prosperous 2018.